You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 27. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum or something like that. This is episode number 27. I'm Will, and she's carefully painting a glass eye that you know will watch you as you sleep. It's Rebecca! My babies are my creations, and you can't take them from me! <laughs> uh, I should have said that the other way around. My creations are my babies. I was just busking, okay? All right? I think they always are. I don't think there's uh, such thing as like a half-hearted doll maker. That's true. You gotta have some commitment to be a doll maker. Something happened to you in your life where that became your passion. Yeah, there's... you need to make you need to make children and vessels somehow. I was gonna say that's never not rife with symbolism. Yes, like, <laughs> yeah, there, yes. there's no like half doll makers out right. there. Right, we're always uh, chiseling in the corner. We're always painting rosy cheeks. That's that's just happening for you in your life. It's not even like contemplative, like ship making. It's like a intense obsessive something's gonna be happening here yeah have we ever had a well-adjusted doll maker i don't anywhere? think so there's nobody who just like keeps a schedule like eight to five i'm working on dolls like, well this is my hobby but <laughs> right. i enjoy other things right. too right I know, yeah you're definitely having a spouse coming in and saying are you going to eat today and then then they <laughs> if leave you have a spouse at all your <laughs> yeah. spouse might be the doll you're working that's on. what i was about to say you start to get some dolls that look a lot like your spouse you're like ever since lydia died all i can do is paint her on these dolls yes yeah. <laughs> And then that, and then, and then maybe something's haunted. I don't know. Good show. Good show. All right. Tell us what we're talking about now. So on today's show, now I realize we need to do a countdown on doll making, but on today's show, we're on the other end of the spectrum. We're counting down our personal favorite takes on the puppet archetype. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight. Okay, we got in a little bit of a conversation about this one uh, last night because I was talking about how proud I was of this pick. We're like, people are just going to love this. This is such a good one. And Rebecca was like, this might be like on the this is for you weird spectrum, but I don't even care. I don't, I'm going to be confrontational right at the beginning. I don't even care if you like this. This is the best <laughs> one we've ever done. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about it. I think this is a great topic and everybody who's Great, we'll love this. <laughs> well, that that's a safe assumption, okay? Yes. Now I'll return to painting rosy cheeks. Yes. Um, so, oh, okay, okay. so we said pup, we were making fun of dolls, but we're talking about puppets. G- give us the definition for puppets so we know what to expect. All right, so I've got that it's an inanimate figure of a human or animal, but uh-huh. something alive, right, uh-huh. that is manipulated by an actor, okay. often by wires, and the person is often unseen. Okay. But that's just like your general puppet definition. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, when I was reading about it, I definitely picked up something about how there has to be like implied like agency on 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 behalf of the uh the figure. Like it has to like suggest that it moves on its own. It's not like a doll you just sort of wave around. Oh, it. right. Yeah. I mean, you you 
know that there's someone there, but you shouldn't know that there's right. someone there. But also, I think we make a lot of hay out of puppetry where we clearly know that the person is there. Right. That's a source of great humor, okay. as, we, as we shall see. But yeah, ideally... You're not supposed to see the person doing the puppetry. Okay. The puppet master, if you will. Okay, got it. And they do have a master. Okay. All right. So, and then I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say that puppetry is as old as humanity. Uh-huh. Because okay. we all know, first of all, it's old as hell, officially. Um because we know they had puppetry in like 5th century BC Greece and that wired controlled articulated puppets made of clay and ivory have also been found in ancient Egyptian tombs. Oh, I like it. So we've had puppets a long time officially, but then also you can just imagine like pre-written history of food collecting society and they're sitting around the fire and then somebody like hey look grog this stick look like you yeah but uh, this you grog this, this you you're this always you're always going rah, 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 rah. Oh, rah, rah, i'm grog i'm the last one to run up on the board but the first one in line for his meat and then everybody's like that is you grog so like you know like you know what i'm like there's no way that that hasn't happened since the dawn of time <laughs> And everybody's dunking on Grug around the campfire. And then so, like, also we know that puppetry is found on, like, every continent, you know, in every culture, basically. So this is really an impulse that is as deeply human as anything else. Yeah, and I, and I can imagine, like, uh, bazaars and stuff, like in Egypt or whatever. You can imagine people just, like, on, on noisy street corners, like, doing marionettes and and like children clapping and stuff. You can just sort of picture it, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. And I've already forgotten his name, but there was a famous French puppeteer who got his start by doing that to attract people to his dentistry booth. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it was like, because back then a dentist was just like, they'd pull your teeth. That's all they knew how to do. We're like, we got the pulling down. Oh, you know he's got some creepy dolls. When they smile, yes. it's like all the people's pulled teeth. <laughs> They're made out of the teeth. <laughs> About like the ladies <laughs> earrings or, or little baby teeth. But but yeah, so like puppets, we've had them for a while. Okay. All right. Anything else that I'd like to say is that, you know, often we use puppetry in the transmission of a culture's values. Um, yeah, because they're often like a satire. You think about them making fun of a king or something. Or... Yeah, so like satirical or even like, like morality plays and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's even believed that the word marionette originates from the little figures of the Virgin Mary in a church that they would use to do little church plays oh, with. Oh, okay. So Mary doll, like Marion, is like that kind of a deal. Okay. So that that's your, that's your general puppet history. Okay. And then I would say we recognize them in modern culture probably from when they transition into mass media. So after they kind of fall out of favor in folk theaters even puppets transitioned to radio which was really <laughs> which is interesting. interesting that is interesting in fact it was so okay so i think i can kind of break this down into like three specific periods and three specific puppets that will that will catch us up this first period in the late 1930s the big one is the charlie mccarthy puppet and if you're thinking about a generic puppet with the rosy cheeks and the flappy jaw and mean eyebrows, and he's got a monocle and, and he looks either and, like a little boy or an old man. And the eyes that you can't trust. That's right. Uh, that is Charlie McCarthy, who was the puppet in the uh, Edgar Bergen Act. 
and he had like this personality like a naughty sarcastic schoolboy and the radio show had a massive audience and the puppet would feud with celebrities like wc fields and he had this catchphrase when he got mad he was like i'm gonna mow you down which is pretty <laughs> funny and he's talking about like running them over with his car um it was pretty funny and he feuded with Groucho and later Liberace and Frank Sinatra. He was a big deal. And then in the 50s, uh, you, it's less for the adult audience and you get Howdy Doody. And he's like a dopey Charlie McCarthy with the big ears and nicer eyebrows and cowboy okay. outfit. So this is answering some questions for me because when I was kind of like looking through this, you know, puppetry was like enjoyed by adults. Yes. For like much of its history, like dating back to Italian Commedia dell'arte. Like, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So like at some point though, definitely by the time we came around, it was mostly considered a children's media. And I think, yeah, and I think the Howdy Doody era, era was a was a big deal okay. when he started doing that. Okay, there we go. And then that really gets firmed up um, in the very late 60s and 70s with the Muppets that changed everything. Yes. So, yeah, okay. You've got Jim Henson and Frank Oz. They pretty much created a new type of art with televised puppetry. And they've got these, you know, there's these radio controlled mechanisms they introduce. And it pretty much opens the door for a lot of kid shows and fantasy stories that otherwise wouldn't have gotten made. And I guess here I'll sort of gloss over stop motion stuff, which you can kind of argue is is puppetry maybe but there's a direct line from jim henson stuff to the fantasy movies he and uh, many of them he's involved with um notably the inhuman characters in like dark crystal and especially sci-fi shows even through the 90s and that probably leveled off by the late 90s when we started to get a, get the hang of cgi so now to catch us up i would say puppetry is probably um like a uh, boutique art type thing. There like, you go. It's, it's noteworthy that it's puppetry, sort of like a comic book or uh, stop motion or something. Yeah, it's considered a feature. Like I, I yeah, think, um, you would you would comment on it now rather than ex- just accept it. Okay, yeah, so that, I think that does catch us up. And you know what? You, I am merciful because I said we said all this stuff about puppets, and we're like, okay, I, I've got the general gist of puppets, and nobody even had to talk about Punch and Judy and all, <laughs> and all that old man. I know. Can yeah. I ask you yeah. if you remember, because this, this is just like one little thing that I do want to kind of like like get in here. So puppetry nowadays really is um, either a boutique art form that adult nerds love and or something that we just use for kids Mm -hmm. like because it's very good for your cognitive development apparently like puppetry and and seeing like them mimic a human form and then like it helps you learn speech and stuff like that blah 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 so puppets are great for kids do you remember like early exposure to puppetry like do you remember seeing that and what you thought about puppets yeah actually i was reading that this became like a formal part of most school curricula because of this and so yes i definitely remember all the sandwich bag puppets yes yeah like because i i remember it's really funny too because there, there's there's we, a we l- made ninja turtle put sandwich bag puppets in first oh, grade and i kept mine puppets. like it was a toy i loved it i thought it was great that is hilarious because then also you could just buy, buy real ninja turtles but it doesn't have a mouth flap <laughs> yeah i made this one i was like i was like shredders this is, this is mutagen he can have his own adventures that's right on my watch no, I, d- I remember there being like a little bit of that uncanny valley kind of thing when I saw puppets as a child because like we already had cartoons and TV was pretty great. 
you know, in the 80s, as we have, as we've maybe mentioned before. But, like, I do remember seeing some lady at some cultural event brought her own Punch and Judy show and, like, explained to us, the children, about Punch and Judy. And I just remember being like, do I like this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's your first exposure to Mm. uh, what you'd recognize as an adult as an interesting program. Like, I'm not sure if I like this, but my mind is engaged. It's like, this is good for me. I guess I'm going to keep watching. I'm, you know, sitting cross-legged here on this uncomfortable rug. (laughs) Um, and then, like, and I and I did also want to mention, like, puppetry still even has a pedagogical um, function today. I saw a story literally last week about how the children's television workshop, you know, the Muppets, Sesame uh-huh. Street, those people, um, they just handcrafted some puppets for the children who are um, living in Bangladesh's Cox's Bazaar who have fled from uh Myanmar because they're because of religious persecution and uh-huh. so there's like this whole uh population of kids now who are living like a very confusing life as essentially refugees like people who had to leave their home country and are in the process of settling in another and so um they made these puppets that they named Noor and Aziz and they're six-year-old twins and they live in a settlement camp, I think, oh, kind of a thing. interesting. And they're, you know, they're being used with local actors and local media as just like a way of like teaching these kids like what the hell's going on in their lives. And um, I do think it's fascinating that all of the tools we have at our disposal to communicate, there is something very immediate and necessary and helpful and educational about just puppetry. I I think that's Uh fascinating. There was a reason we had it since we had modern humans. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I think it's interesting that it's not going to go away, even if it keeps changing. Like, Uh I I do think that's fascinating. Like there's nothing your phone can, like your phone can't replicate everything a good puppet show can do, (laughs) which is crazy when you think about it, but it's, it's kind of (laughs) interesting. But I mean, but with that in mind, I'm I'm talking for the purposes of our po- of our podcast countdown. I'm really thinking more of like representations of puppets in popular media. Is that kind of where you were thinking mm-hmm. too? Mm-hmm. I mean, they could be real puppets or like 24 seven. But then just I, I don't puppets in media. That's what I'm. That's where I'm kind of. Yeah, going these are gonna be this. the fun ones. People are gonna want to hear about basically. I'm I'm hoping so. <laughs> the fun ones and the weird ones. Yes. And, you know, maybe we'll learn some more about puppets. Okay. Maybe we will. Hope we will. Well, I'm in no hurry. Well, then it's all <laughs> Number eight. But I wanted to be the dungeon master this time. You said I could... We're rolling. Oh, oh, oh. Humans, I am Ziltoid the Omniscient. I come far from across the Omniverse. I present to you the infinite realities from the fourth dimension. I am coming to your planet on May 21st. Prepare your finest coffee. All right, he's a little green alien with an overbite and two triangle fangs. He wears a purple cape. And he has traveled to Earth in search of the universe's ultimate cup of coffee. This is Ziltoy the Omniscient from the album of the same name by Canadian heavy metal treasure Devin Townsend. This is one of the albums 
I don't ever have to question when one of the songs comes on. I think we all having having to transition from iPods to Spotify and stuff. I think we're all kind of reckoning with whether we're tired of certain songs. I never get tired of Ziltoid. You songs. never get tired of Ziltoid, and this is funny too because um, I'll, I'll by way of introduction, you know Devin Townsend, even if you don't know him. Um, just being a really big figure in the heavy metal community, he was the guy who popularized the Skullet which is bald uh-huh. on top and long in the back, party in the back. And he's known for his guitar skills and his powerful voice, along with his goofy sense of humor. And it is kind of funny because he is really prolific as a, as a metal artist. I mean, he's had like, you know, D- the Devin Townsend Project and the Devin Townsend Band and Devin Townsend. And he's just always making and, music. And all the stuff he was Steve Vai before that. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. And he was and Ted Strapping Young Lad. Oh, yeah. And, um, um, just, but yeah, like, so this is like a really prolific musician, but even though it started off as a goof, I do think that the album Ziltoid the Omniscient about a space puppet is his finest work. I think so too. Definitely. <laughs> so this is a 2007 concept album about an extraterrestrial being named Ziltoid from the planet Ziltoidia 9. This is from the wiki. Okay. Uh-huh. So. Uh, Ziltoid travels to Earth in search of the universe's ultimate cup of coffee. And he also wants coffee so he can fuel his time machine because he also has a parallel goal of being the universe's ultimate guitar hero. Uh Uh-huh. You shall fetch me your universe's ultimate cup of coffee. Make it perfect. And all of this happens in song. And despite the fact that this sounds like a stupid throwaway gag that he just keeps taking further and further, this is his best album, Like I, I think. He, he did a sequel to it in 2014, but I still think that this album, Ziltoid the Omniscient by Devin Townsend, is one that everyone should check out. Yeah, and when you were talking about that, even though it's like, it seems real gimmicky, the reason it's good is he sort of leans into it like... I don't know. It kind of is like an album puppet show because there's like this real like serial comic kind of theme to it, like right down to the hero being sort of like the Zap Brannigan tunic kind of guy who's always yeah. on his tail. Captain Spectacular. And I love that you said this description of him because as far as we know, we don't know what Captain Spectacular looks like. But when you said that, I completely imagined the same thing mm-hmm. as well. Because he has that, that part in that song where he says, I, Captain Spectacular. And they have that awesome guitar part. That... <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. He tears out those pinched harmonics. So the theater kid in me that I keep trapped in my soul's basement really wants to see uh, the story of Ziltoid on the stage. And I think Captain Spectacular, the who, Zil, who was the Earth hero, yeah. but this is Ziltoid's antagonist, um, would be a spectacular spectacularly fun part part to play and i would love to see a production where all of the actors also play instruments yeah. so that they could actually do the score themselves yeah. and shred their own guitar parts that's i think brendan small did that a little bit with death clock i could imagine that okay d- i don't want to derail your thing but you real quick if you were going to cast this who would be captain spectacular oh why well I guess Brendan Small would be a good. He would be a good, be a one. good one, right? Because he would be one of the few people who actually could play the guitar. Yeah, parts. and he looks a little more clean cut, maybe. Yeah, he'd, yeah. He'd, be, he'd maybe be okay. A, we'll go a, with that on the fly. One. All okay. right, that's that's good. And another thing that's worth mentioning is like, and this all sounds incredibly silly, and it is. But one thing that I do love is that. You know, silliness and seriousness are just two sides of the same coin. I, I make this argument all the time. Like you can't, you can, you can have a lot of beauty and truth and seriousness in something goofy. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like I, I think the song "Solar Winds" that you just referenced, mm-hmm. where you know, I Captain Spectacular, 
<laughs> Hereby give my good word. It's actually a really moving song when you <laughs> listen to the parts because this is him after Ziltoid's forces have wiped out a lot of the Earth army. And he's looking out his spaceship window lamenting the loss. And I'm just like, you know, there are some really touching little moments there. Um, yeah, I do like space whist. Space, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Again, you got to stare out a window. You're just watching the stars go by. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's just thinking your thoughts. And I would actually really love to see that staged because um, I, I think that that would be just a fantastically fun thing to do. Uh, he only ever played the Ziltoid album live, I think, just one time, and he got Gene Hoagland famous metal drummer to mm-hmm. come and play the part of the planet smasher which is <laughs> I, I think that that was at that show but anyway if, if all these nouns are interesting to you <laughs> like the word planet smasher it really does deliver in fact that's 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 maybe the best song from i don't know that one or solar winds yeah really I, would, I would say it's a tie between the two yeah. of them i i really do yeah. like um and i i guess i wanted to make this one of my picks just because he he does and did. I think they're they're available again. I don't know, but at one point, Devin Townsend did sell a little Ziltoid puppet that you could buy. Yeah, and I think that they have them again after all these years. Oh, and the reason he was your pick as a puppet, I guess we should mention, is that when he was releasing the album, part of it was all the uh, like videos and stuff he produced with a Ziltoid puppet, like talking about the album coming out. Like Ziltoid is a puppet. That's yeah, he is literally a yes. puppet, and he looks like the old Devin Townsend with the skullet. And yes, except an alien. Except right? an alien. Yes, he's got <laughs> yeah. like the a high collar, uh, like Flash Gordon cape, and oh uh, yeah, and it's an adorable little d- design. Number seven. My voice pick is the real brains of this operation, not the dummy over there breathing behind my neck. This is Scarface <laughs> and the ventriloquist from Batman. Specifically, Batman the Animated Series. Okay, love to hear it. This Batman business can only mean one thing. We got us a squealer. No, boss, that can't be. None of us want to screw up a sweet deal like this. Glad to hear it, Muggsy. Because if there isn't, I find them, it's drapes for that rat. No, Mr. Scarface, remember your blood pressure. Shut up! I want your opinion, dummy. I'll pull your string. Okay, so when you think about the Batman rogues gallery, this guy specifically, I think, gets overlooked. But in a lot of ways, he fits in better with the Batman universe than pretty much any of the other guys. And I would say, like as a grown Batman fan, he's definitely in my top three. Probably because I was an animated series fan, but he and Clayface and... I'll leave the third slot just sort of floating, but I love (laughs) Scarface. You don't have to pin yourself down on that. It's okay. I, I I love Scarface. So... If you're familiar with this guy, or if it's been a while, Scarface is a short wood-carved puppet that looks like a 40s-era Chicago mobster with a little suit and Tommy gun and a scar that runs down his cheek. Did you you remember him? No. <laughs> uh, I think this is like the perfect look for Batman because Gotham always has that Max Fleischer 40s noir thing. Oh, yeah, thing. Ab- absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you need a little, like... Like '40s mobster ridiculousness. Yes, and 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 they made it work really well in the animated series because they have like the little jazzy dark score that goes with him, and it's real creepy and everything. But couldn't you imagine him also working well in other Batman universes? Like, wouldn't he have been a great '66 uh, Adam West Batman villain? It would have been, yeah. Like a, like a puppet. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm actually very 
shocked? Did that, did that not happen? I don't think so, but that would have been a perfect one and low budget. And yeah, I, you can't tell me they couldn't have gotten some famous comedian at the time to I do mean, it. Yeah, dude, they sprung for like a bald cap and a yellow suit for Vincent Price to be the Eggman. Surely they could have come. Oh, they could have got this. Sinatra to come do it. That would be great. Maybe they would have. I don't know what he was doing <laughs> then, but maybe he would have. So it sounds pretty funny, but like all the best Batman guys, this guy has some real psychological depth. Um, Cause you know, they all sort of have some issue that puts them in Arkham Asylum. And his is that the ventriloquist who um, controls him uh, has dissociative identity disorder uh, taken to like a dangerous extreme. And so, Basically, the premise is this mousy, mild-mannered ventriloquist named Arnold Wesker carved this puppet, but then he starts to withdraw until Scarface becomes the dominant personality. And pretty soon, they're robbing warehouses, and they've got goons with matching outfits and, and everything like that. So this is an important theme for us to hang on to this thread here. Um the theme of the puppet doing what you might be afraid to I do. I know, yes. Okay, so that, that is definitely a thing, right? I, I think so, yes. So he's it's kind of like made a vessel for, like he, like putting somebody else's hand on the on the sword, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, well, so, wasn't me. Yeah, was I can't puppet. do it. You're distancing yourself from the thing you're actually involved in. Or, or um, you know, and on the other side of that coin too, I was even reading that... Uh, what's his name, Bergman and the McCarthy puppet. Bergman was really a sh- very shy guy. And like he figured out in school, you know, he can make people laugh and, and everything with the jokes and everything. So it's like a way for that, for you to express that part of yourself if you feel uncomfortable just sort of owning it too. So there's there's definitely something there where it's like an outlet for you, whether it's like a, a malevolent bad way or a, or a fun way. Yeah, what, I guess I've never really thought about that, but that's definitely true. Uh the gimmick I love with Scarface is that it is imperative that everyone address Scarface directly because he is the boss and you must never address him through the ventriloquist. He gets very mad if you try to talk to Wesker as if as if the goons know what's really going on. It is Scarface who is running the show. And, and I assume he would be very mad if you said something like, I can see your lips moving because... <laughs> oh, you can't. They He's weren't. Real good. He's real good. And it's a cartoon, so it doesn't move at all. Um, We're talking real trouble. What are we going to... Hey, hey, who are you talking to, creep? He's just a hired help. I'm the boss here. You talk to me. Sorry, boss. He's new. He don't know the score. Like in, in the first episode... Hey, where hey they... tell me real quick. How, did you ever try to learn ventriloquism? Oh, yeah. I feel like every boy with a funny bone, you know, at some point probably was like, I'm going to see if I can just get the hang of it. Like maybe in one afternoon, maybe I am a genius at it and I'm going to just try. We didn't have anything to do. And so we were always, <laughs> we were always doing voices and stuff. Yes, definitely, definitely wanted uh, to do that. You mean the ventriloquist is a genius? Nah, like Scarface said, he's just hired help. Scarface, he's the real brains. And it made me want to look up more about multiple personality disorder because I kept thinking, like, is this a real thing? I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure that any... I'm pretty sure that Arkham Asylum is not a great leader <laughs> of, of, of research or therapy or anything like that for the many people who populate its halls. 
But I'm, I'm assuming there's some sort of kernel of truth there that they, of course, embellished quite a bit for the story. But well, I was surprised. I was surprised when I looked this up that even when you look this up on WebMD, they equivocate a little more than I thought they would about it. I thought it was pretty well established that it's not a real thing. But they, they say, understanding the development of multiple personalities is difficult, even for highly trained experts. The diagnosis itself remains controversial among mental health professionals, okay. with, with some experts believing that it is really an offshoot phenomenon of another psychiatric problem, such as borderline personality disorder, or the product of profound difficulties in coping abilities or stresses related to how people from trusting emotional relationships deal with others. Okay, so that, that makes sense to me, though, because I do know that it, it's never gone away in the popular imagination, and I understood it to be something that was the result of great and profound trauma, which... I can't never talk about. We, I, I'm always must talk about trauma because that is that is our duty here on. Well, Earth. especially for Batman. I mean, all these people get yeah. monster, <laughs> monsterfied by tragedy. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, like, that's the way that I always understood it. But I also feel like maybe it's had a little resurgence in popularity lately because I think that there are some interesting. YouTube channels where people like to showcase their different personalities oh. and whether or not they believe that it's true or whether someone has given them a diagnosis or whether that, I mean, you, whatever it is, it's still a fascinating phenomenon. It's that weird phenomenon. thing too, where if they believe it's true, exactly, uh, it might as well be. If and you're you have to treat it. Like, and, and we've even had like pretty big controversies. Like I know that you and I are not like super up on the land of, internet gossip or whatever but i know like i think it was last year there was a pretty popular youtuber named trisha paytas who was known for being a little trolly and mm -hmm. all of her the stuff that she does but she announced that she thought she had this you know did that that was her thing and that she had these different personalities and um it really kind of put it in the spotlight among the youtube drama community because oh, they were like, like so they were like I mean, you know, because like on the one hand, everybody wants to take everyone seriously and, you know, tr you know, treat something that's as serious as a mental disorder, you know, with a lot of love and care. But at the same time, they're like, Ugh. it's a great topic for high drama people. It, it is. <laughs> and so that, that is interesting. I'm glad to know that it is at least controversial. So yeah. I don't have to I don't you know, I, I guess I do have a pretty good handle on what that is. But. Well, we were talking about why, you know, you'd let uh, a separate, a distinct other personality become dominant or whatever. And like, I'm also thinking about whether like, um, g guilt would be a good one too, because it's like you're, um, you know, you want to shift the blame or something. So you can imagine somebody like this Arnold Wesker feeling like, so like shame and guilt. Yeah. And so he's, uh, he has this very, uh, dominant out there, um, confident, bad personality that can like soak all that up. And he doesn't have to take any responsibility. He's just like, Mr. Scarface told me right. to, sir. I didn't do, do it. Right? Yeah, it's don't not, tell Mr. Scarface. It's not my responsibility. It's too stressful to have the responsibility. Exactly. Yeah, that does. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So whether or not it's something that, uh, I mean, whether it's doomed to live on in infamy as the fodder for talk shows of the 80s and yes. YouTube communities of the nails. Um, it's still certainly something that has been very present in culture. And it's, it definitely is something that at least in popular imagination, people want to talk about, you know, the thought that you would just transfer all of your feelings onto a different part of you that you would compartmentalize your personality like that. Whether it's fact or fiction, it is fascinating. 
Number six. I've discovered something that will change our lives. It'll bring us power, respect, and money. And it's right here in the suitcase. What is it? You sure you want to know? <laughs> yeah, open it up. Think you can handle it? Yeah, open it. Gentlemen, say hello to Morty. Hi, Donnie. At number six, I give you Morty, the ventriloquist dummy owned by the geek Neil Schweiber in Freaks and Geeks. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Neil and Morty. Oh. Hey. oh, that's a very McCarthy, Charlie McCarthy type puppet. It is, and I think this is a nice, uh, this dovetails nicely um, from our discussion about, you know, like, the the puppet is doing things that you wish you could do, but you yeah you want to kind of like dissociate yourself from because you don't know how to handle it. Um, but this is in a a more realistic, down to earth way. But we're gonna talk about this. Okay, so we on this show have not yet talked about freaks and geeks uh-huh. ever, although we should. So this was a doomed television show that was <laughs> because from, it was good because it was on good network TV <laughs> and so on of course network it won't TV. Survive. That was why it was doomed. It um, aired in 1999 on ABC, I believe. Unreal! So, I can't even imagine that that was true. No, I know, and and it it was also from a time where it was right before prestige drama television mm-hmm. took off, and they were just a little bit ahead of the curve. And it and, didn't even look like a network show. It was like shot like it should be on FX or something. Yeah, it's it's definitely cinematically shot, and it's worth mentioning, cinematically scored as well. Uh-huh. Um, one of the reasons why you can't stream it right now at this very minute is because uh, Paul Feig... And Judd Apatow made sure that they scored it with popular music of the era because it's a period piece about high school students and it takes place in 1980. And they refuse to release it or stream it without the musical cues, uh-huh. right? That's a big part of it. That's a big part of the personality of the show. And it's a big part of what makes it cinematic and good and interesting. And so that's why you won't just casually be able to catch it on Netflix right now. It was at one point, but it's not. Um, although I would say if you want to watch it, Dude, buy the DVDs. They're 35 bucks and they are available. Yeah. Like, I know, I know, Grandpa, buy the DVDs, really? <laughs> yes. Yes, because they can't take them from you. They'll take <laughs> away your streaming beamers and your streaming jeemers. And also, but- don't forget, Rebecca said, uh, puppets can do things your phone never can. So. <laughs> that too, okay? I'm full of wisdom here. But anyway. So, so again, I say it's. this is a show about high school in 1980, but it's also just a show about adolescence in general. Yeah, I think that's true because I remember when watching that, I, I can't think of a show that better represented what it was like to be in high school where they actually acted like high school kids and they were immature in the way high schoolers are, but also smart in the way high schoolers that's are. That's exactly right. I definitely felt like that in high school where I was too obnoxious because I recognized that I was a little bit smart, but also... I was pretty immature because of it too. They nailed that. They they really really did, and um, I feel that the character Lindsay Weir, the main girl high school character there, is one of the truest and best representations of, especially like a bright young, smart girl in in adolescence. Like I, th- I think that that is one of the best best drawn characters like ever. 
um, and some of the things that she goes through as she's struggling, being an overachiever in in one area, but then also wanting to explore her personality and hang out with kids who were a little bit bad, um, and then the scrape she gets into. I, it, I, it's really just really well done show. And um, I, I don't know. I think it's one of the best written TV series of all time. Do you? I mean, like, I don't. I don't oh, yeah. think. Oh yeah. Even, without question. Yeah. Definitely. Without without question. Oh yeah. There's a puppet involved in this pig, right? <laughs> yes, we are still talking about puppets. So Neil, one of the geeks, this is the the freshman group of of kids in the show, is very into comedy and he wants to be a performer. So it's not surprising when he gets into ventriloquism at one point in the in the season. He gets a dummy named Morty. He just looks like a, a regular boy with like some chinos and a sweater, but like uh-huh. obviously the uncanny, terrible eyes of any any <laughs> dummy. And he starts practicing his ventriloquism. And of course, his friends, Sam and Bill, think it's terrible. And they're just like, oh, Neil, come on. This is the worst thing ever. Well, at the same time, Neil learns that his dad is having an affair. And he is agonizing over whether he should tell his mother about it. Um, so his friend, Sam, saw Neil's dad hugging a woman at the mall and then playing it off very awkwardly. So the, there's this whole long several episode buildup um, in this little subplot. And then eventually Neil is able to confirm that his father is having an affair because he finds a clicker to someone else's garage door opener in his father's car. And it's also worth mentioning that they made his father's car a convertible with vanity plates. (laughs) Just so we know that this is like, this is definitely kind of like the classic suburban midlife crisis dad affair. Uh So with all this roiling inside him, there is a very memorable dinner party where a sullen Neil is invited to perform with Morty. And Neil just doesn't know what to do with all his anger because his dad is there with his mom. Everybody's acting like everything is fine. And so he just channels his anger into a very pointed (laughs) uh, ventriloquist comedy monologue where he takes a lot of inappropriate digs at his dad and all the adults slowly become more horrified except for uh, the Weir's dad who is very drunk and thinks the whole thing is hilarious. Hey, how can he see you so funny looking? What do you mean? Their teeth. They're terrible. <laughs> Morty, I mean, come on. No, 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 no. Haven't they ever heard of a toothbrush? <laughs> Morty, what, what, what do you mean by that? Look at them. Look at these people. Look at that lady over there. Her teeth are so bad, she should be a professional hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can we can we just get to the act now, please? Oh, sure thing. Sure thing. He has to leave, and there's this very, very touching moment where it all just comes pouring out. His mom is asking him, like, what was that all about? It is really just one of the sweetest, sweetest parts of the whole show. It's just like, it's a really, really touching moment there uh, between Neil and his mom where he confesses what he knows. Nothing will ever change the fact that we love you very, very much. And you and Morty are very funny. Thanks, Mom. Going along with the theme of puppetry sort of being used to help people articulate their values, this is like a really, like the whole series is about, you know, childhood to adulthood and just na- navigating that those terrible transitions or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this is very much a little child to man moment where through this like ridiculous kitty toy, Neil is realizing that his his values don't line up with the values he sees in his family. Like his father's values are not lining up with what Neil knows to be right. And 
he doesn't have the right tools to articulate it yet. <laughs> and so it just comes bubbling out through a puppet show of recriminations, you know? And it's tragically hilarious. It really is. It's sweet. It's embarrassing. It's funny. It's horrible. It's wonderful. It's all of the above. Uh, Morty is a great puppet. And it's a great show. You should watch yeah, it. Yeah, that's a great thing. Number five. So this is where the evil horde hides out. The Fright Zone. You put it together. Fright Zone, E-Man, Hordak, and Man-at-Arms fingers each sold separately. So nice of you two. Stop being for that. The Fright Zone. The Fright Zone. The Fright Zone. Your overgrown lizard doesn't scare me, Hordak. Oh, no. The Fright Zone. The Fright Zone plays at you from the Evil Horde and Masters of the Universe collection. Action figures you sold separately from Mattel. All right, this time we're moving away from a figure or, or, a, or a, a doll, and we're going to talk about a hand puppet, uh, probably more of like a sock puppet, okay. that, that was beloved by boys uh, around our age. Okay? okay? All boys around our age love this thing and will know what it is and will have nostalgia and maybe violence thoughts. Uh, this is the beautiful vinyl snake from the Masters of the Universe <laughs> Fright Zone playset. Yes. It's true we talked about pretty much every He-Man thing under the sun by now, but I don't know that we've talked about the Fright Zone playset very much. Well, so did you have the Fright Zone uh-huh, playset? I did. You were a very beloved child at Christmas time. Like yeah, your that was, was when we didn't really casually buy toys during the year, but we got everything. You at got Christmas, a bonanza. And that sustained us through and the whole year. From what I understand, that playset was pretty expensive, you know, so I guess maybe not everybody had that one. Yeah, that was definitely one of the the big two, obviously, were Castle Grayskull, and then Snake Mountain is the bad guy when it gets all the attention. But this was the other great playset. Um, and I guess to sort of explain the thing about this playset, I think it's important to mention that this was in the era when toys didn't have to match the show exactly. Um, <laughs> it's a whatever, whatever you come up with. Yeah. Cause now, you know, everything is super consistent and in continuity, but then either because it was too hard to make, or they just went with the concept art or whatever, they just kind of give you something that felt tonally appropriate and then call it something from the show. And so, in the in the show in the Shira show, the Fright Zone is the high tech bad guy fortress, right? Um, but this was an evil jungle playset. I don't know how they got away with this, but yeah, because that's not yeah, it was anything. frightful. <laughs> I guess that's what they were thinking. But um, ba- basically, it looks it was like this. <laughs> this is so funny to me. It's it was two cruddy stone slabs set at a right angle, uh, so just you know half a square. On top, there's a dead tree, and then on one of the slabs, there is a jail door with wooden bars, and on the other slab, this is where the treasure is, there's a hole where you poke through a disgusting vinyl snake puppet. Okay? (laughs) Somebody knew this was a great idea, and stuff like this just cracks me up because just anthropologically, from a bird's eye alien's point of view, how are boys not monsters? Like... If you look at girls' toys, they're bright colors with glamour and pleasant things. And if you look at boys, it's crags and slime and violence. Yeah, and that's that's what you all are. That's the only thing you're allowed. Well, I don't know, you know, whether some of this is learned or there's some overlap. Either way, it's true that boys are fascinated by horrible things. Even today, I look at that and recognize, yeah, that's a good toy. <laughs> I love that. I don't think it does anything for girl brains, but... I mean, you know, I I... 
I can appreciate a good Craig as an adult, I guess. But no, I don't. I wouldn't look at that and be like, yes, I want to play with it. That. It was horrible. It's a horrible little playset. Um, and uh, you know, so I guess we should talk about the 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 best part of it, the snake. Um, this is the part that lit up the boy brains, uh, but it was kind of a problem because you know how like your cat or your dog can get overstimulated by a toy is kind of the same thing here. Like I remember a lot of us boys loving the snake too much and playing too hard. Well, it's a good thing that it was attached to the playset, right? Because yeah. I feel like if you weren't limited, then that snake would have been full on just attacking people well, left and right. If you look on eBay, many of the snakes are detached. <laughs> uh, what what does a de- detached snake go for relative to the price of the intact playset? Depending on how worn it is, I saw some of those things going for like two hundred bucks. That is insane. <laughs> that is insane. The price that someone will pay to recapture the feeling of snake mania but can you imagine when your boys and playing this like one of your friends has the little he-man and he's trotting over into the fright zone and then you can't help it you're just gonna bite it too hard and you want to let your friend know the snake's real mean so you kind of bite a little bit of his hand too you well, know and then you wrench it around it's like no the snake's bad the snake's bad and you just and the like the mom is like y'all are playing too rough go outside you know, that's the way it happens with the Fright Zone place. And then you go outside and just start throwing rocks at each other. And then everyone has that. concussions. Yeah, we go we go out the rocks at each other in the Clay Canyon. We go <laughs> do that a lot. So, you know, you snap up He-Man too hard and bite your friend's hand. And also, it stunk. Uh, it smelled just like feet when you pulled your hand out. And you had to smell it for a while. So that was also good, too. And I guess y'all just, did, it didn't occur to you to wash your hands. No. Or I, uh, your mom wasn't going to clean your room and be like, I'm going to disinfect the interior <laughs> of the snake puppet on this playset. We That's don't really not have happen. any good, disgusting vinyl puppets anymore. I remember Boglins were kind of in the same family, which also would have been a legitimate pick, I think. Okay. but um, no one, I did not pick Boglins, but that's yeah, good to know. But it's the same thing where it's a disgusting vinyl uh, sock puppet that boys would play too hard with. Because the biting feature, I think, is what's, <laughs> what's so appealing. We can't resist a good bite. We just want to so. know what it's like. So nothing too deep here, just uh, a very culturally important sock puppet for um, all boys around our age. We have strong sensory memories about it and violence thoughts, and I thought it deserves some recognition. Number four. He's laid apples and nativity scene out of your second hand. They came to life and then, amen, I met the manger babies. There's Obadiah the donkey. He says, yeah. Jose is a cat. Meow, meow. An octopus, too. Gurgle, gurgle. But let's not forget the very British bird. So Reginald Featherbath from the third. Charmed, I'm sure, governor. They are the major babies getting in trouble. The major babies spreading God's message of love. Major babies. At number four, I am excited to talk to you about the Manger Babies, <laughs> Luann's puppets from King of the Hill. <laughs> you remember this? This was a recurring bit that started in season two of this long-running animated series and made appearances through season 13. I, I do. It does. It is heartening when you see that the creators of a show know what's good about their own show because sometimes the show can go in a good or bad direction because of it. Uh, yeah, and I've, I feel like we've probably mentioned it a couple of times, but I want to talk a little bit about King of the Hill in general because I feel like we haven't done it enough. And when it was on, because it ran for like years, when it was on, it was really easy to take it for granted. 
Um, we didn't really um, quite uh, have the label or the defined genre of adult animation yet, I don't think. Like, Simpsons was kind of the only thing, and then we kind of got King of the Hill. And yeah. So we didn't really know how to appreciate it. Like, no, this is a smart adult show. It was just sort right. of like, Fox has another cartoon. Exactly. And King of the Hill also started when The Simpsons was in its prime. So it's just like, well, that show's not as good as The right. Simpsons. There's no way it could be. But then, like, you know, as it went on... What had the um, lead in or something to, to the Simpsons? Yeah, yeah, I think they did a tent pole or something. Because I remember like that. when we were in college, we would go, we would watch it together, and we'd see like the end of King of the Hill before the Simpsons would come on. Aww, I remember <laughs> appointment TV as well. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember. Aww, that's that's lovely. No, but it, but it's like at the time, I guess I didn't really give it as much of a chance as I should have. And like I have eventually seen, I think I've seen the whole series. Like I'm sure there's episodes I haven't seen mm-hmm. or whatever, but I feel if like you've I've seen it through the Tom Petty era, which yeah. is also crazy that Tom Petty was a recurring character. And he did a great job too. I love what Tom Petty was like, I'm a slip and fall man. <laughs> so like, I feel like a lot of people, I mean, like a lot of people do, but I know at the time, we couldn't have known how well drawn the characters were on this silly little show and how they would just grow and develop over the course of the show. Um, so if you've not watched King of the Hill, you should. But it's about this a family in Arlen, Texas, and it's about the father, Hank Hill. He's married to Peggy Hill, and they have a son named Bobby. And this character that has the manger babies is Bobby's cousin, Luann. Uh, Luann is Peggy's niece, and Luann is staying with the Hills because of a turbulent life at home. So even if this is something that the show plays for laughs, and it does, but not in a mean way, um, it's still true that like this is a character with a lot of turmoil in, in her background, uh-huh. right? And um, just the, a little bit about the character of Luann, she's really ditzy, but ultimately has good common sense and very good-hearted. Uh-huh. She's very delightful and, and whimsical. And she was voiced by Brittany Murphy, who did a brilliant job. The whole, you know, like, she was so good. Well, when you, so good. When you're picking her, you know, it's funny to think about how she does the exact opposite accent in Clueless. Yes. You know, she's just really good. She was. Really and, good timing. Yes, and just, I mean, and again, this the, her passing really was tragic. I yeah. mean, she was a phenomenal talent, and it's it's very sad, but um, her work on King of the Hill was just like, <laughs> was just amazing. So, the Manger Babies. These are puppets that Luann finds at a garage sale in season two, and she turns it into their own little Sunday school puppet show, and it will go on to become a local like television show. Like she can go be on local TV and it's Luann doing all of the voices. Like, so she carries manger babies throughout the season or throughout the series. Um, she calls them the manger babies because they were supposedly the animals who were present in the Christian nativity at Christ's (laughs) birth. Uh, there's a donkey that she named Obadiah. Uh, but there was also a cat and an octopus and a penguin. (laughs) (laughs) who were definitely not at the birth of Christ. But, uh, and the penguin that she gave a very hackneyed British accent to, and she named him Sir Reginald Featherbottom III. So, Uh I mean, it's it's ridiculous. (laughs) And, of course... Uh, we, you, you and got the octopus, love. I know, was always going like, gurgle, gurgle. Gurgle, gurgle, that was <laughs> yes. the, the octopus. Um, so you know how I always have to talk about how everything is secretly sad and sweet and poignant. It is, okay, because if you think about how many people in this world who don't have adults to model good behavior for them, um, but then you have to find it wherever you can, 
and um, for someone like Luann, bless her heart, who always had a sense of what was actually right and what was actually wrong, even if she floundered and couldn't quite find her way, she always did have a very childlike sense of right and wrong mm-hmm. that, I mean, just because it's childlike, it doesn't mean that it's, I, I don't mean that in that it's like naive or undeveloped. I just mean in that it's very pure. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. very undiluted. And Luann, again, she's a character, she's ditzy. It's played for laughs often, but because the series is so loving with its portrayals of the characters and their foibles, but then also just really, really makes clear how they're all, you know, good people despite it and worthy of love and and, and good things in their lives, even their most tragic characters Um, I I do think that it wasn't just that, oh, well, she's like childlike and she's dumb. Like, no, that's not it at all. Um, There's also this thread in literature about people who have undergone a trauma having a heightened sense of imagination and whimsy. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about Anne of Green Gables. That was definitely a feature there. And um, like The Secret Garden, uh, if you remember the beginning of that book, that little girl was the sole survivor of a cholera outbreak. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like this, the people who go on to be very imaginative and really cling to the whimsy and the good and the wonder in life, um, for some people, it's, it's something you do because you need to see evidence that the world is a good place. And like, I, I really do see shades of that trope in Luann Platter's Oh, character. I could totally see that. I can totally see that. You can see why she really embraced the idea of the manger baby puppet show. That makes a lot of sense. And of course, it's completely silly. But again, like a lot of things that are silly, there's there are good, serious, real things in there as well. And I just, with uh, of course, like Luann Platter, the character that I'm talking about now, but... Um, Hank Hill is one of my favorite characters in all fiction, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, um, because there is just such a sweetness to him. And he's like the best dad in all of literature, I think. I remember in that first episode with the Manger Babies, he helps her uh, at the end of it. She didn't really know how to end it uh, because the the story for the Manger Babies is uh, they get thrown out of the movie theater because they tried to sneak in or something. And Hank goes up and he says, and I'm the assistant manager of the movie theater. I want to tell you that sneaking in the movie theater is just as wrong as uh Spilling juice on the carpet. And so all the Sunday school teachers there are like clapping like crazy. Like, yes, yes, what a great show. Great lesson, great lesson. (laughs) That was back in the day where when you went to Sunday school, you got saltines and some apple juice. (laughs) And it was the highlight of your Sunday. But anyway, no, like, I mean, we we haven't talked about it in depth, but I do really have a lot of fondness for King of the Hill. And I think it's one of those shows that um, if you've not watched it, There are tons of seasons, and if you're like, I need to stream something or I will die, I I gotta stop doom scrolling, that's the perfect show. The perfect show to avoid that feeling, so. Well, can we ever repay you? By never forgetting this lesson, sneaking into the movies is wrong. As wrong as spilling juice on a new carpet. Bravo! Bravo! Number three! Fans of Sesame Street will hear this pick and say, yip, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. These are the Yip Yip Martians from the long-running children's show, Sesame Street. Yay! Book! 
We have to have a Muppet on the list. And we do, because I'm I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to overlook a whole lot of very important puppets, and I just I don't think we have time for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Got to be represented, though. Uh, we, we've had some recent conversations about our Muppet feelings, right? Like, in some ways, I think they just missed us because we, oh, we only knew them from Sesame Street. But, you know, the weird thing is they have that weird comedy nerd cachet because of the Muppet show, which was sort of like, SNL with puppets or something. Yeah, it was just a little before our time, and I'm, I'm sure it's something that I would enjoy tremendously if I checked it out now, which I should. Do, do you want to talk? Do you remember anything about them or what you remember about I them? I mean, I just know that there there's a pink one and a blue one, right? A pink, pink Most one? often, yeah. Okay, yeah. And that's about it, though. They just, I mean, like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, they're, they're very enigmatic. Uh, we don't know a lot about the yip-yips. Uh, well, I will tell you a little bit about them. Okay. They've got two eyes and squiggly antennas on top, and then their bodies are pretty much just like a drop cloth, and they have a real pelchy mouth. And so their mouth can come out and go, yep, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, they, and then when they get surprised, their mouth, their bottom lip will jump up over their eyes. And they're, they're, it's really simple, but it's really effective. It works okay, really well. okay. So they showed up in 1972 in a skit where they encountered an earth telephone and that pretty much set the template for all their appearances. And the way it works is they'll materialize shaking side by side near some sort of earth object that the kids are supposed to learn about. And then they kind of in their own weird little Martian speak, ask each other if they're on Mars. They'll be like, Mars? Nope, 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 nope. And then they'll decide they're on earth and they'll consult a book about what object they're looking at and go book 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 and then they'll keep kind of getting it wrong think it's the wrong thing like they see a telephone and then they're like cow moo, 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 and they'll try to moo to it and they'll try to meow to it and then <laughs> and then the object will do something surprising and they'll get very scared and their lips will jump up but then they get real excited about it and yep 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 yep, 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 yep. And they love the chaos and they're just like uh like a cat or something that gets real excited the more chaos the better and they just love whatever the earth object is and they get real proud of themselves when they get it right and consult the book and figure out what it is at the end and I just love them because they are like the perfect yes and characters whatever the other one says the more chaotic the better the other one totally agrees and totally loves it (laughs) I would also think that it's a great character because of the universality of the humor like it does translate into literally any culture yes they they break it they break it down like a good example of that is the radio skit where they keep trying different radio stations and it's completely arbitrary why they do or don't like certain radio stations like they'll put, turn one on and it'll be like classical and they'll be like hmm nope 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 and then the other one gets upset and he goes nope 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 and they have to go <laughs> change it to one they like um and talking about the universality thing there's something here too about like the childlike quality of them you know when they're trying to figure out what the objects are like a like a kid would be there's like some sci-fi uh writers and philosophers who talk about the idea that um, the most successful species are the ones that retain childlike qualities, like the, the ability of the species to still need to learn to be sustained during their life instead of just having all the mechanisms they need to survive being built in and fully calcified by the time they're adults. Oh, that makes sense. Those, those species tend to do better. And so I like the idea that these Martians who can travel to other planets are still this like, childlike quote naive that they'd still be trying to figure out telephone and they're 
explore and do dangerous things because there's something in their brain that they need to. So all the good alien stuff is packed into here too is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> This I is guess. just your reason to talk about aliens, <laughs> but it's okay. It's fully allowed. And we did need a Muppet pick because, I mean, obviously... Either that or just completely ignore them because they so set the tone for everything that <laughs> anyone would want to get from puppetry. I mean, you know, that's also a possibility, but didn't go with it. And I'm happy to report that they uh, even uh, made a reappearance in the new Sesame Street episodes. They were, most recently in 2020, they appeared as part of a story being told by Samuel and Julia in one of the episodes. <laughs> Good on you, Samuel and Julia. Number two. You're watching a ventriloquist named Jerry Etherson, a voice thrower par excellence. His alter ego sitting atop his lap is a brass stick of kindling with the sobriquet Willie. In a moment, Mr. Etherson and his naughty pine partner will be booked into one of the out-of-the-way bistros, that small, dark, intimate place known as the Twilight Zone. All right, we're closing in on our best puppet of all time at number two. I give you Willie the Dummy from the Twilight Zone episode of the same name. The oh. Dummy. Oh. Okay. I'm glad now, we get to some scary ones because yeah, we need to, this could have been a list full of horror ones. Uh, of, and I had lots on my been. short list and we'll hear about them later. And it could have been a list full of wholesome ones too. And so yeah. I just needed to balance it out a little bit. I like bit. it. I like but it. this Let's is a really good horror um, dummy and I've already talked at length about how much I love the Twilight Zone. Like, blah, blah, blah. Watch it. It's really good. Though, like, it's best writing of the 20th century. I'm not even exaggerating. Blah, blah, blah. And I will say that we are doubly hashtag blessed because uh, the there's two episodes of the Twilight Zone where ventriloquism features as the central metaphor. We love it. But they're different. They, they do. I think, I want to say, like, one of them was based on a, like, Rod Serling wrote the teleplay, but it was based on someone else's short story, and the other one was not, and it's not important, but I am going to differentiate. This one is about ventriloquist Jerry Etherson, played by Cliff Robertson, and he's performing an act with his dummy Willie in a small club in New York City. So this dates back to the days where ventriloquism and puppetry was still an adult uh, martini kind of uh, act. Mm, that's an interesting date to take somebody to. <laughs> I, I, you know, you really got the impression that maybe I picked up some cigarettes and we're going to watch the ventriloquist. <laughs> and, and then, like, you have to decide whether you want to take your date up front, where you might get heckled by the dummy. <laughs> And be like, can we can we survive this as a couple? I don't know. Uh, he got you. He got you, babe. <laughs> he got your number. He got your number over. <laughs> uh, but um, so the deal in this episode is that he is convinced that his dummy is alive and can't be controlled. And at the same time, he's drinking more and more to cope with this uh -huh. horrible reality because, you know, it's stuff like the dummy bites his finger on stage or like, the you know, the dummy is taunting him always from his box. And um, he firmly believes that this dummy is alive and he's trying to tell people and people just think that he's completely lost his mind. Uh -huh. So the reason why this is a great use of puppetry um, in a symbolic way is that um, the, the theme of loss of control here is what's central to this episode. How can you be real when you're made of wood? <laughs> 
obviously, you know, the puppet master should have full control over the expression of his dummy. But of course, what does it mean when you feel like you are so out of control that not only are you not in charge of your own life, but other agents who shouldn't have any power over you do have power over you. And of course, it being the Twilight Zone, there is a there is a twist at the end. Um, but the whole episode, you're just spending tormented with this man, like not knowing like if anyone's ever going to believe him when he's says no but he's really alive and uh willie's antics get more and more wild as the episode goes on but yeah um i I do figure that we needed some good horror dummies on here and this is just a classic one it really is you you gotta have your uh your dummy taking over Okay, I can't find it on my script, so I'm going to say something about, let's do our honorable mentions. <laughs> There's so many, because, and I don't know who your number one is, or I think I do, but but again, we would be remiss to not mention, like, your greats, like Kermit the Frog and Big Bird, and, you know, all of that. Okay, let's just put one in parentheses called The Greats. The Greats. If you think you've got one that's The Greats, covered. It's The Greats. Greats are covered. The ones from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood that I think a lot of people think very fondly of, but I never had much use for. I love when they got on the trolley. I love when the trolley came in, but right. I did not like once they got to the land of make-believe. I was like, can we just get back on the yeah, trolley? Yeah, what's this show in the middle of my show? <laughs> like, can we just get back to the kid breakdancing on the on the refrigerator box? That was awesome. Like, let's go back to see I would watch again. an artsy movie about King Friday's day now, but... Uh, well, that's good. Um, maybe if he's not a puppet. I never cared for those puppets. <laughs> I didn't either. I, I, didn't I either. never did. I never did, but loved Mr. Rogers. We all do. Okay, so the, the, those are your greats. I'm also going to, I got you got to have uh, Gabo from The Simpsons, who uh-huh. was almost a pick, but I just, <laughs> I had to I had to pick Manger Babies. And then finally, Mr. Socko. Oh, yeah. Ma- mankind's. Uh, um, the wrestler the mankind's, wrestler mankind's sock, sock that puppet. he put on his hand and yeah. would reach in people's tongues. And it was great. Yes. That was a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't think about that one. Uh, I'm going to say all the guys from uh, Farscape, the sci-fi show that we talked a little bit about earlier. Also, the Thunderbirds, which I can't believe we didn't talk about, but the uh, marionette puppet action show where they're all like jet fighters and stuff that like our dads used to love. It's insane this show existed. I mean, it's crazy. I watched a little clip of one not too long ago. I cannot believe how straight they played it. It was like a like a 40s war movie and the clip I watched there's like some smoking secretary I could not believe it they had this marionette secretary she's like like John's on line three Bill and I was like I cannot believe this this is the best thing I've ever seen and he's he's like settle down settle down Regina she's like he's on line three it's great I love it it sounds like we need to watch the Thunderbirds Um, you mentioned Ziltoid and uh, King Friday oh and I'm also going to say there's an evil uh, marionette sorcerer in the novel uh, Gardens of the Moon that I love which i thought was a super cool idea I it's really good if him. you're a sorcerer yeah yeah he he was a like an evil bad guy and they killed him but he zooped into that uh body which i like well with all that in mind who's your number one puppet of all time number one All right, this pick is important, not just because it's number one on the list, but because it is our cat's first movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and it's her only movie she's seen. This is uh, 
I kind of don't want to give it away. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat, and then I'm going to pick one at the end, okay? But okay. it's the puppets from the movie Puppet Master. Okay, you can pick them all together. Okay, well, okay. All right, so we, Rebecca and I watched the movie Puppet Master for the first time last night. It's- I have to say, though, that I am sorry that, that this is number one and not, say, Kermit the Frog, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Kermit the Frog, we love you, but Puppet Master is just, I don't, the way It was on my mind. It was, I was, <laughs> I was most excited to talk about it. This is the horror movie about killer puppets from 1989. And I, we just kept laughing. I think Rebecca brought this up, but our cat's only seven months old. And we kept laughing because not only is it the first movie she's ever seen, it's the only movie she's ever seen. <laughs> right. Like, what's your first movie? My movie is Puppet Master. That's the movie that I, I like know. Puppet Master. She like, right. Because well, we're very concerned with trying to raise her right as a kitten and grow her right with, like, the right cat food. And so, obviously, Puppet Master. That's her the, movie. That's the movie. She she sat yeah, there and it, she was in the room. She paid attention. Um. Did, okay. If I'm going to pick a puppet from this movie that I'm about to talk about, can you guess which one I would pick? Do you want me to guess the one you like yeah. or say the one that I like? Both. I'm but more me interested first. in saying my own pick. Okay. okay, the one that you like the most. Um, do you like the one with the hat and the blacked out eyes and the white masky face? Uh, that is the, the little, most and that, the straw colored hair. Who was like the precious, the one that the old puppet master at the beginning was trying to help escape? That's Blade. That's the that's the one that the most popular one from the franchise. I was going to cheat and I was going to say Leroy the dog. That doesn't count because that was my way of counting them, counting them all, and it's the one that made us feel the best. Or whatever. okay, well, okay, but that's a, that's just okay. Okay, which one are you going to pick? For my favorite puppet, I think I like the one with the drill head. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. He is a good tool. Okay. He used it with great effect. Okay, I think his name is Tunneler from what I saw. They don't tell you that. No, they don't tell you that. So how did anyone ever find out what the names of the puppets are? By are- the very, very complicated story in the, in, the, in the subsequent movies. Okay? Oh, okay. But I'm going to do you a big favor and fill in some of the details that the first one won't for you. It begins with a flashback to 1939 at a hotel in... Bodega Bay Inn, California, where an old puppeteer named Andre Tulin is working on some puppets, but some Nazis show up to kill him, but he puts his magic puppets up and he commits suicide before they can get into his hotel room. So was he only an enemy of the Nazis or was he an enemy to all humanity? Well, the thing (laughs) is, the puppets take on the character of their master, I have learned. So he was actually a nice old man. Okay. Who was per- I know from reading the subsequent movies, who was persecuted by the Nazis. And they were following him because of all the revenge he had been taking on Nazis in his early life. See, they don't explain this in the movie at all. There's a lot of things that I did not understand about how puppet mastering works. Yes. But now you've answered so many yes. questions. But it Get is the a- cat in here. She needs to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, in the present day, 1989, four psychics, some with much more star power than others, are summoned to the same hotel by an old colleague who's dead when they get there. Except his body keeps moving around, so maybe not. And then some killer puppets start to show up. And that's pretty much the premise of what's going on here, okay? And there are tons we could talk about, like with the crazy psychics and who's a good actor and who's not, uh, dinner parties, uh, the puppets, anything you want to mention about this film and this story before I get to the puppets. <laughs> it's very 80s. It's very 89. Okay. There's a lot of of uh, gratuitous sexuality. Yes. As as was custom in 80s horror films. 
uh, you're going to see some some boobies. So I don't know if that's a bonus for you or not, but it's, it was very much a 1989 film. I remember telling you when we were watching it, it reminded me of like when you're 11 years old and this is why you would stay up till 3 or 4 a.m. for two seconds of bathtub oh. and this stupid, <laughs> stupid puppet movie. You're like, that was worth it. And so it's, it's dumb. some things. It's dumb in that way. Um, okay. So the puppets, the ones that show up in the first film, you've got Blade, who looks like a evil old fisherman with like the gaunt white face. And he's got like a hook hand and yeah. blades and stuff. Okay. You've got Pinhead, who's um, a soldier with a tunneling thing on his head. That was my favorite. Yeah. You've got a uh, Jester, uh, and you've got Pinhead, who looks like an like an old um, like Batman tough. He's got like a tiny head and like a huge he was chest a good one. and huge hands. It was, was a, the, it was a good model. He was a good puppet. And Leech Woman, who is the most bizarre and upsetting and interesting one, I think. Who's like, <laughs> I don't know how you describe it, but like she's like a sexy puppet, and she makes all these like ridiculous moaning sounds until she gets up on you and then she starts retching and retching and vomiting up killer leeches yeah and don't the leeches somehow transfer being a puppet to you also in some way like if if a leech gets on you then and you're dead then you can be one of the puppets as i don't well. remember that part i don't know well i just assumed it because i was like why would they just put might the leeches? as well be might as well be true. Okay, I was like, why would they put the leeches here otherwise anyway Okay. okay, all and, right. And I know from the later films, there's so much I could tell you about these puppets, but the later films, that was actually um, Toulon's wife who's in this uh, in, in this thing. He brought her back to life after she was killed. As a puppet? In the puppet. Therefore, uh, what we said at the beginning of the episode, completely unknowing, was correct about the doll maker yes. and his wife, Lydia. Yes. Okay, so that it's come true. full circle here yes, at the end of the true. episode. Okay, but Rebecca's making fun of me. My actual pick is the dog. One of the psychics, <laughs> the southern psychic lady uh, with a bad southern accent, she has a little Pekingese taxidermy dog. And at the end, the lady who survives and gets puppet master powers brings the taxidermy Pekingese dog back to life. She's like, come on, Leroy. And he goes up the stairs and everybody's happy at the end of Puppet Master, the and way he, all horror movies should end. And he got to be a real boy. It was how all horror movies should end. I want to see a dog alive and well at the end of any movie. Yes. That is what I want to see. Good dog, Leroy. Okay, so I think we learned a lot, and one of the one of the important questions we didn't talk about was something you brought up last night. Could could you be a puppet master? It's a lot of responsibility. I just yeah, I ultimately decided I just I'm already tired of like the animals following me from room <laughs> to room. I don't want to have to animate a whole bunch of other lazy sacks who aren't even like doing stuff yeah and what if they didn't do it good enough and then like you've got a problem on your hands like yeah they got they got they got their own interests i mean Um, i assume that being a puppet master is something you don't have any control over like it'll just happen to you and you got to fit it into your life but i sure hope it doesn't happen to me that's all i gotta say yeah i was thinking about that too like what chores do i need taken care of and all the things i want to work on are intended to put information in my head. Yeah, like, puppets ain't gonna help you with yeah, that. Yeah, if I'm working on guitar, they can't do my guitar practice for me. No. And I don't do many chores. Like, <laughs> like I'll I'm not, say. I'm not gonna work in the yard. That's not gonna help me. I mean, I guess there would be bonuses that I don't care about that much. Well, maybe the puppets could do the yard work. Yeah. That would be hateful. Or maybe my actual work that I get paid for, which I don't care about. Maybe that. Maybe. Did we learn anything about puppets? I like the thing about the distance from them. Mm. It's like a, you know, it's a way for you not to have to own... Yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's a, a compartmentalization and uh, um, a way of articulating our values. What is, what is the, what is the deal with the demons possessing puppets like and, and dolls? What does that symbolize? I guess it's just a, a convenient vessel. I don't know. I do not. We're know. scared of the. Un- we don't trust them. The uncanny thing, so it's easy to project that there are demons in them and stuff. I well, guess. yeah, because yeah, because you. What What are you gonna do about that when they come after you in the night? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> uh, in conclusion, that was my double spaced sixteen point font essay. <laughs> I think we learned a lot about puppets. This is probably the best show we've ever done. This is probably the best topic <laughs> we'll ever do. I loved it. If you're into puppets, definitely. If you, if, I don't know why I sighed. If you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, email us at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or talk to us on social media. Rebecca, where can people follow us or what else news do you have? Twitter or Instagram or visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series that we're about to start writing season three of, um, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Or visit KeenGarrity.com to pre-order my upcoming album, Get Big. That's right. You can support my vanity career in alt country. It's what we all dream of. And the album comes out January 29th. January 29th. Okay. And follow her on Instagram. And Spotify. I mean, I mean Spotify. That's well, you the can one. follow me on Instagram, too, at Robot I'm so bad Pageant. at Spotify. I keep having to have her show me how to look at stories. I don't understand it. Well, you mean Instagram, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes Papal. Yes. Follow Keen Garrity on the internet. But not on Instagram because I need to change my handle. I'm so bad. <laughs> no, just just. There's something for a puppet to do. Do whatever you can do. I don't know. Okay. I'm not the boss of you. Okay. Best show we ever did. <laughs> All right. How long was that? You gotta monster? say thanks for listening. Oh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth inferior champions to these puppets. The legends they tell of a hero. Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble and